Let us pray. God, we come before you in this morning and in this time in which there are so many gray areas for us to navigate as Christians. Teach us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I haven't seen so many faces in church in six months. It's fabulous to see you all here. And I would say what a great season it is for moral philosophy. Certainly what is happening in the news on so many levels is pushing us to wrestle with how we are called as Christians to walk in this world. And what better text can we choose to instruct us than Jesus's message this morning? Jesus is on it. And you know, this text with the Pharisees and Jesus and where do we put our money, who do we give our money to, is probably one of the most well-known and quoted scriptures. I mean, how many times are you with friends or family and someone says, yeah, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's? Just kind of toss that phrase out there. And I'm sure it has influenced the popular joke that I grew up with about the three clergy who are standing around discussing how to distribute the tithes of their congregations and they're having this theological debate about it. And the punchline is that one of them says, oh, well, you just put all the money in a blanket and you go like this and whatever God wants, God keeps. No doubt they knew this scripture well to create that joke. So we know the passage, we carry it with us and joke about it, and it also has been interpreted endlessly by scholars. This setup I discovered recently, the setup between Jesus and the Pharisees is an example of what is called rabbinical forensic interrogation. That's your academic term for the week. It's a pattern that developed after 1 AD, so rabbinical forensic interrogation. It's when the outsider puts a hostile question to the rabbi, the rabbi asks a counter question that makes the outsider vulnerable. And when that vulnerability is created, the rabbi makes use of that to refute the outsider's challenge. So here we have the Pharisees and Jesus, and arguably we could say, well, which one's really the outsider? We have this tension between the two. The Pharisees are questioning Jesus's authority as a rabbi. So they're trying to cast him as the outsider. And Jesus in his response casts the Pharisees as an outsider because they don't understand the depth of what he responds to them. And they throw up their hands, the authorities throw up their hands and leave. And on the surface, it might seem that Jesus is simply making a distinction between spiritual and secular practice. And indeed, many have interpreted the passage this way. However, the deeper meaning is that Jesus is really telling us that the two cannot be separated. The sacred and the state, in terms of how we live our lives as Christians, cannot be separated. 
Now, I'm not arguing for religion of the state. That is an entirely different conversation. But I am saying that we are called to live our lives as Christians in every aspect. And the example I'll give you is, I've been reading one of the biographies of, of Frederick Douglass, and he writes in it about the hypocrisy of the slaveholders who go to church on Sunday and whip their enslaved people on Monday. That is that separation between the two. That would be justifying we do the secular acts over here and the spiritual acts over the here and ne'er the twain shall meet. Another example would be a couple of weeks ago, I preached on NIMBYs, not in my backyarders. That's where we say, well, the gospel is great. Feeding people, great. Housing homeless people, great. Just don't do it in my neighborhood. Just go do it somewhere else. Because my neighborhood is separate from the need. And often when we get into that place there, because we're standing in places of preference and of privilege, and we justify compartmentalizing our Christianity with our privilege. Well, a few weeks ago, a lot of us were talking about the fact that the president of the United States was diagnosed with COVID-19. And I had a lot of conversations with people who were either celebrating his diagnosis or angry that people were celebrating his diagnosis. And it created a lot of tension, not that we haven't had enough already in this nation, but it created another layer upon layer that has already been there. And I began to reflect on how our choices, how we responded to that news. How are we called to act as Christians? Because I cannot say that the president deserves to get ill and or die from COVID-19 any more than I, I can say that someone who committed murder deserves the death penalty. I cannot. I cannot have separate accounting books for my spirituality and my daily living. Because if we say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's in our daily lives, we can justify behavior that is against the gospel by excusing it as just simply not being a Christian or spiritual matter. After the president's diagnosis in the following week, the New York Times had an opinion piece by a moral philosopher who argued that you could possibly say that the president being ill was for the greater good because he deserves punishment. However, the greater good is not something we purely determine based on our own self-interest. The greater good is based on the gospel, which is defined for all creation and all peoples. And God is the one who defines the greater good, not we ourselves. Because when we claim that responsibility and say that we're in charge of defining the greater good, that's how we create societal laws that take away human rights because it's hubris, ego, privilege that lead to the creation of societal norms and legalities that keep people separated, that maintain privilege and take away other people's human dignity and humanity. 
And so in that tumultuous week, I was sitting with some friends having coffee. And we were talking about the times in our lives when we felt that internal sense of self-righteousness when someone else had received bad news. Someone maybe we didn't really like or were felt competitive with. And I realized that for me, that when I get that internal sense, it often manifests itself as what my mother would call being smug. I don't know if you've ever had a parent tell you to stop being smug, <laughs> but I did in my teen years. And then I started thinking about how, you know, in the English language, there are words that begin with SM and they all seem to have an attitude. There's smug, smart aleck, smirking. You could just go on and on and on and on. But one of the warning signs of compartmentalizing our Christianity is when our smugness dashboard light goes on. You think about when you drive in the car and you get the warning light, whether that's the tire or the check engine or the who knows what. Another image I'll give you is from the movie Inside Out by Pixar Studios. There's a little girl named Riley and the whole story is about her emotions and, and you, the film sits in the console of her brain where all the emotions have a, have a control board. And I was imagining you have all the emotions there and then they see the smugness light pop on, on the control board. Another way to name this, I'm calling it smugness, but the word that I heard tossed around was schadenfreude, that moment in which we rejoice in someone else's misfortune. The language of you get what you deserve, or you made that bed, now lie in it. That's one of the phrases I grew up with. And yet, can we truly say that anyone deserves to get sick with COVID or deserves to die from COVID? Paul is writing to the community in Thessalonia about their gift of joy, joy inspired by the Holy Spirit to be an example of all believers. And we are invited to do the same, to spread that joy and, and to be that example. Peter has that moment when he had his epiphany about how God shows no partiality. And in that joy, I mean, an example, many were baptized that day, including a Roman centurion. And Paul, Paul was not Paul. Paul was Saul, the persecutor, whom God struck with blindness. And I wonder if the Christian community, when they heard about Paul being struck down as Saul, sorry, Saul being struck down by God, were they whispering to each other or proclaiming to one another, Schadenfreude, he deserved it. He had it coming, he persecuted being stoned to death. He deserves this. Simeon certainly did not want to receive him. But he obeyed God because God's the one who chooses whom he calls. And God redeems all people. And Paul, in being redeemed, writes this letter that we listened to this morning. 
Our walk of Christian faith is one paved with good intentions and sometimes filled with good practices. I think that's a challenge to have it be all good practices, and, but it's a long journey for us to create and figure out for ourselves. And so what I say to you this morning is we have an opportunity when that smugness light comes on in your dashboard or you have that little moment of schadenfreude when you hear about someone who has a misfortune in their life and perhaps a little part of you does the, the jump up and down of the they deserved it conversation. Let's take that as a, as a moment to examine our response and to choose a spiritual discipline to bring ourselves more in line with Christian teaching. And the practices that come to mind for me are humility and empathy. Humility by reminding ourselves that there but for the grace of God go I. Or in my favorite passage from 1 Corinthians 15:10, but by the grace of God I am who I am, and God's grace towards me has not been in vain. And with empathy, Empathy as witnessed an example through the life of Christ. The Pharisees even say to him, you show no partiality. I mean, they name it back at him. And he, in his living witness to us, heals with his touch, with his word, and with his entire life. For empathy does not judge, empathy heals. And in caring, humility, and empathy, it can help remind us that God will bring justice on God's time. And when God brings justice, it doesn't come in the form of striking people down with illnesses or punishing them with hurricanes. God's justice is different, and we can trust God to sort that out. And in the meantime, we're still called to pray for everyone to believe that God can bring out the good in others, to hold up the possibility of life for every person, for that is the walk of Christian faith. Amen.